The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony Corona. Every week here on ACB Media One, that's American Council of the Blind, Media One, and soon after on all your major podcast catchers. Each week, we'll dive into the news, human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona, and I am very happy to be here with you and an amazing panel for a great conversation. Um, I don't really have any announcements today, but I invited um, someone from a, uh, ACB's Next Generation to talk a little bit about their first ever auction this evening. So, Mo, are you with us? Mo Carpenter. All right, well... I am not here with Bryn and Sheila today. Uh, both of them had other commitments. Bryn is doing all of the behind the scenes technical support for the Illinois Council of the Blind Convention. And I believe Ms. Sheila is at a play. So um, I have Herbie Allen and Belinda Collins. Belinda is our host and Herbie is streaming for us. Uh, Belinda, refre Bell, refresh my memory. Who is connecting us for Clubhouse? That would be Herbie. Oh, everybody's connecting us too. All right. Well, hello everyone in Clubhouse. Um, you will there will be some opportunity for audience participation uh, in about 45, 50 minutes or so. I am very, very pleased to introduce uh, lots of friends to Sunday Edition today, and no particular in no particular order. Uh, just say hello, where you're from, and um, how are you doing today? Debbie Grubb, welcome back to Sunday Edition. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to learning as well as participating in this discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Jane Tolino. Hello to all of you. I am sitting here in San Antonio, Texas, cooking, not as Herbie says with gas, but cooking with the wonderful sunshine. I'm very glad to be part of this conversation about how we use language and what it does for us. So I look forward to your questions and the other panelists. Thank you so much. Mr. Paul Edwards needs no introduction Tuesday topics himself. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. I'm Paul Edwards and I'm from Jacksonville, Florida and I'm sitting in, in a nice large bedroom and it's all good. All right, Penny Reader. Hey, Anthony and hello everybody. I'm here from uh, Montgomery Village, Maryland. And what a great panel. I'm excited to be here with everybody and looking forward to all the discussion. Thanks. Cheryl Cummings. Hey, Anthony. Uh, this is Cheryl Cummings. I am in Seattle, Washington, and looking forward to our discussion and having a chance to. And Kenneth Simeon. Hello, Anthony and everyone. Glad uh, that we are all able to be together today for some uh, good discussion. I am uh, having a beautiful day in Beaumont, Texas. Thank you so much. So as, um, as persons alluded to, we have some questions that we're gonna dive into. If you looked at the promo for the show, it's, um, it's titled, Are We Being As, in as Inclusive 
as uh, are we being as inclusive as inclusive as we would like the world at large to include us? And a lot of this is going to center around the lexicon of language. So in the promo, I wrote a sentence about being part of a conversation recently where I heard the term blinkers. I've heard sightlings before, but I've never heard blinkers. And in that conversation, there was a, a bit of gentle pushback because there were it was a mixed conversation. There were low vision, totally blind, and of course, um, sighted allies in that conversation. And there was a little bit of pushback that that could be offensive or that it's hurtful to our sighted allies, our sighted partners, partners in advocacy. And it really got me thinking how the words we use, how much they matter. And also inadvertently, have we created a sub world for ourselves? And in so using certain language, are we keeping ourselves there and potentially turning off some of our sighted allies? So I brought this panel together. I think everybody represents um, various ideas, various stages of life, et cetera. So um, I want to jump right in and ask the panel what they feel about the question and um, their thoughts on joining this conversation today. And let's go backwards the way from the way we, inter we introduced each other today. Kenneth, you've got the stage first. Wow, Anthony. Okay. Well, uh, I tell you, it's an interesting topic. And it's so important that we really tune into what we're saying and uh, also what we're hearing and uh, are we engaging in what's being said and, and how it's being said as well. Uh, so it's so good that we uh, practice not trying our best to learn about the most current terms and whether we, they may be offensive to someone or not. And I'm, I'm trying my best to learn these days. It's uh, so much going on since COVID. Uh, we are actually being more vocal about how we feel about things. And we have to be careful about respecting one another as we speak and even share our own views, our thoughts or, and perspectives. So, but also respecting one another's perspectives as well. So I, I've heard some of the conversation that you mentioned uh, about people with, even with low vision or someone who is, who is totally blind, having differences and, and, at times not respecting one another's uh, situations that were not actually chosen. Uh, these things happened in our lives and we are having to make the best of it. So we need to really take time to understand one another as humans and not just about what we deal with uh, or some issues that we face in our lives. So um, I'm looking forward to more uh, discussion on this topic. Thank you, Cheryl. Well, um, this is something that I think is, is really important, and I'm glad we're talking about it today. Um, I suppose, you know, as Kenneth said, I mean, we're changing, and sort of our understanding changes over time. And I think if, if I use a term and somebody says to me, I apologize and say, how else do I, you know, like, what's the right term? But I think sort of in the situation you're talking about, I, I am worried in the sense that, um, you know, as somebody who's blind, I mean, I've encountered a lot of situations where words have been used to sort of put me down. And I suppose one of the things I want to encourage people to think about is, you know, if we have that experience of how hurtful words can be, why would we want to pass that on to somebody else? You know, why would you want to take something that you know is negative and hurtful 
and do that <clears throat> do that to someone else. So I'll stop there for now. You know, I actually want to follow up with you, Cheryl, before we go on. Um, I, it's no secret I'm part of the LGBTQ community. And a popular phrase in, in New York was nancing it up. And that sort of meant, um, you know, when someone was being very campy, when someone was being very overly obvious to make a point, you're nancing it up. And, you know, it's part of my lexicon. It was never anything that I, I thought about. It was just words that were used. And when I moved to Florida, I had used the term once and, and somebody pointed out where that originally came from and why that term is hurtful. And, you know, it took a little bit for me to kind of um, retrain myself not to have that come out of my mouth. So slang, do you, are you as a, you know, are you as a person as conscious of when slang is being used rather than when it's in like a direct conversation? Uh, well, I'm a bit of a middle-aged person now, so um, <laughs> I'm not that like plugged into current slang. Um, but I, I think that's you know that's something that you need to be mindful of, and maybe even mindful of like what group you're in to think of. Because I think your your story tells me that nancying it up in New York is acceptable and okay in Faye. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, the same thing, I think, happens sort of with with slang. And I mean, there you know, there are words that I hear um, people use around me that I would I choose not to use because because of the history and sort of the the implication of the word. Um, but, you know, neither do I sort of give people lectures about um, use of words. I think a, I think a, it's not slang, but a good example of that also is the word blackmail, which I saw a, a really good article from The New Yorker a couple of years ago. Um, all right, let's move on to Penny. Hey, um, well, I think this is a great discussion. I would tell you that um, I spent most of my youth pretending that I wasn't blind and trying to pass. And, uh, and I, I never went to like to a school for the blind. And I hardly ever hung out with blind people before I went to work for ACB. And I was amazed when I got to the blindness community to find how blatant the animosity is among some blind people for people who can see. All the derisive remarks about uh, people who are light dependent. And that was really shocking to me. Um, and I think it would be to lots of people who are not blind. And the other thing that I found very shocking was the really outspoken animosity many people in the blindness community have toward people with different disabilities, especially people with mobility disabilities. Um, I think we all need to be really a lot more careful about the language we use, even among ourselves. Um, and this is a great topic. Thanks. Thank you. And, and I think we're going to get more into, into some of the stuff you just said, because, you know, it's no secret also that I'm, I just had my seven year blind diversity. Um, and when I first came into the community, there were several conversations that I was in and around. And I felt early on that when I would talk about my life in my sighted life, it, there was a difference in an interaction. Um, yeah. So we will definitely get to that. But I do have a question for you too, Penny. Um, you know, you've been on the BOP for a while 
have you ever encountered, I'm not going to ask you to point any fingers or name any names, but have you ever encountered this um, in in something submitted to where you kind of had to go back and say, let's rework this. This is a little um, harsh for the for for the forum or, or another BOP outlet. I have softened language occasionally, but I really can't remember. You know where I mostly find it? if it's written down is like on Facebook postings and uh, those kinds of things. Um, and it used to be when I worked at ACB, there was a lot of it on the ACB uh, email discussion list, but I don't see that any hardly ever anymore. So uh, I think we've all come a long way, um, but I think we still have a ways to go. <laughs> so Mr. TT himself, come on up. <laughs> Well, um, I want to actually put more questions into the mix rather than trying to answer any. Um, one of those questions is, is it permissible to have in-group language, that is language that operates within a minority group? Uh, I'm not sure what the answer is, and I'm, and, 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 and I'm not sure um, whether it applies. I am certain that it exists among blind people, terms like um, blink and uh, sidey are all terms that 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 are used by blind people and they are used i think in a derogatory way so i don't think there's any question about that the second the second issue that i want to throw onto the table because i think it's really important is whether the notion of political correctness um, has actually served us as well as it might have um, I think that there, there is a real sense in which it isn't really people with disabilities or, or people who are blind, I think, who've come up with the notions of what political correctness is as it applies to us. It's often people who are service providers for us, who are the people who have invented notions of what we should be uncomfortable with. And one of the... <laughs> One of the results of that um, is that is that it is no longer appropriate for us to say the blind. Uh, I think that's a very appropriate uh, phrase, and 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 I don't think it should be necessarily required to always be accompanied by people who are. Um, I I don't I I don't see. Uh, the, the kind of discomfort that other people appear to feel with that term. So those, those are my contributions to the beginning of this discussion. I think no matter what, we would definitely be touching on the second question. Um, it just generates within. But your first question, I definitely want to devote a segment to specifically. So thank you for bringing those two. And, and I can absolutely piggyback on that. Being part of the LGBTQ plus community, there was a real push um, several times in, in my outlife to segue into using the word queer as, as a rainbow definer or as an umbrella definer. And lots of people push back against it. And I think the younger generations have sort of adopted it um, as an unspoken rule, but a lot of people push back on it in our community. We want to be recognized for our individuality um, and why does LGBTQ plus suddenly not cover that? But um, that's a different conversation for a different day. All right, Jane, you're up. 
Jane, you're gonna have to be quicker with that uh, mute sugar. Yeah, thing. yeah. <laughs> Am I here now? Okay. Yes, you are. First of all, I think there are times where inside the group conversations are enriched by taking back the night, so to speak, taking back the language that has been used derisively toward us. I love it when I get together with my Blink sisters. Um, I have to make sure I know who they are at any given time because, but there are ways to do that. Anytime you're with a group, ask for the language that is comfortable for everybody. Um, I had to learn to do that as a teacher um, years ago. So I, I like to take back the language which has been misused in my direction. Um, that's one thing I just wanna say. And I think that we have been intimidated by professionals. Paul, you really nailed it in my opinion when you said that professionals in their effort to give us terminology have just kind of screwed the pooch. Um, I wanna be able to speak clearly about who I am and it's much easier to spell blind than visually impaired or all the rest of that. So I just wanna put that out there. Um, it deeply saddens me to respond to another point that was made that there has been so much animosity uh, and I think it's fear-driven. That, that's my opinion. The animosity that's directed from people who are visually impaired or blind to other uh, groups of folks within the disability or within the not included communities around. So that's all I wanna say for now. Do you, Jane, um, I, I feel you and, and again, you know, being multi-spectrumed in my world, I, I also mm -hmm. agree that taking certain words and taking the power back is, is fundamental. Um, but do you agree that there is certain terminology that is specifically um, conceived as animos, you know, can be negative towards, would breed animosity towards our sighted allies? That like we use toward that yes. we use toward people. I think I've experienced that struggle more from the point of view of what people who can see put onto me. Whether it's by their words, it's more by their actions. Uh, so I don't feel that. I direct that animosity toward sighted people. I, I'm, I have a great deal of understanding about sight gives people a wider range of initial connections that they make with the world around them. They can see point. up, down, in, out, narrow, wide, um, surround. Yeah. yeah, all of that. It doesn't mean that we don't get them. But that is the uh, derogatory assumption that very many sighted people make. And I've seen it in my extended family where I am given information because, Jane, you can't see it, so you don't know what's going on. Well, let me tell you what I see going on or hear or perceive or recognize. 
I was going to use more abrupt language, but never mind for now. So, <laughs> Family thank friendly. You for yeah. Oh, all right, Debbie. Okay. Um, I want to begin by saying something that I heard recently that I guess we, you know, this is something we've all known, but maybe we haven't thought about it for a while. Diversity, which some people find difficult to understand and a bit frightening, is a part, is one of the paintbrushes of our entire creative process. And I'm not just talking about human beings. The same kind of flower is different colors. Look at the guide dogs. You know, there's, there's diversity everywhere. And instead of it being something to be feared, it is something that should be embraced and long to be understood. And just because I, I think sometimes we, who, and, and there's so many people whose who's, who's diverse culture, diverse race, disability, whatever you might call it, have had a lack of understanding. I think, it, I think we have to remember that it does go two ways. I also think that some of the language is based on anger. And Cheryl, I hope you don't mind, but I'm gonna tell a little anecdote about you that impressed me with you and will for the rest of my life. Um, I had invited Cheryl to be a part of, of a series of programs that I had asked the um, Blind Pride people to do regarding learning from their advocacy techniques. And Cheryl and I were talking and we were talking about our own views, our own personal feelings about how we have had prejudice shown against us. And I said, and Cheryl has got, as you all know, this lovely voice, very brilliant, very caring. But I said, Cheryl, you don't seem angry. Oh, and she said, one of three, oh, Debbie, tab control. I am Room. One of two, tab control. Room. But Cheryl one of two. has tab found control. a way, it seems to me, to make this anger that she is justified in feeling and that she feels she found a way to make it work. And that is to open the doors of inclusion, to open the doors of knowledge to people too. And, and I think that's, this is an example that we all need to follow. And I'm gonna end my little comment with a personal anecdote. Penny probably knows this, but when we were in school, they, the word, the pronoun they was never to be used as a singular pronoun. You got marked down on your papers. So a while back, I, as the chair of the um, ACB Special Ed Task Force, had sent a little blurb about a podcast that we were going to do. And I put in he, she, and it happened over a weekend. And I got blasted for an entire weekend. Now, should somebody have kindly said, Debbie, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this. I guess what I'm saying is when people mess up, which we all do, I was just going by something that was, had been in my DNA forever. And when I wrote it, I really didn't, it wasn't that I was being cruel. It wasn't that I was being exclusive. I mean, I have had people from the LGBTQ plus community or whatever we're calling it today in my life since I can remember. I remember learning about Robin Redbreast from one of the most loving, wonderful lesbian women when I was a little girl. So I meant nothing. And so I guess what I'd say is 
when people mess up, we have to think about, are they mean people? Do they hate, do they hate uh, people of color? Are they anti-gay? Are they this or that? Or is it something they don't know? And if somebody had sent me an email or had rung my phone and said, Debbie, you know, what you wrote, and nobody, you know, they had, they saw he, she, and suddenly what I was trying to do by sending this document had been totally forgotten. I, so I would have learned. And I did learn because I talked about it to some people that I respect and they knew that I meant no offense to anybody. And I've learned and I won't do it again. But I think we have to, we have to stop and think about that and say, is the person really, you know, just a mean person who doesn't get it and doesn't care and doesn't ever want to get it? Or is this an opportunity to lovingly and kindly teach somebody who obviously through their life has tried to do their best for the disability community, has been a friend to all, is not a prejudiced person? And I think this is something that she doesn't know. And so I think when we talk about language, we also have to talk about intent and why we do the things we do and why we use the language. And, Thank and you. With, with intent, I think also needs to come a little, a, look, some conversation also needs to come a little bit of grace. Um, and we'll get there a little bit later on. One of the questions, one of the direct questions that I wanted to talk about kind of fits into some, you know, what everybody was saying here, especially Penny and Paul. Um, and in that conversation that I referenced at the top of this, of this show, um, the person had used the term blinkers and, and there was some conversation and the cited ally, again, pushed, you know, pushed back politely saying that that could be hurtful. And, and in fact, it was a little hurtful. And the response was, well, you don't know what it's like to live in our world. So you really don't get to say that. And so I'm wondering, especially Penny, you, I think you had the nail on the head with animosity. You know, every day we hear about, if not experience, Uber Lyft denials. Somebody asking, where's your person? Or talking to the person with you uh, rather than talking to you. All of the things that we experience. So is the harshness that is the world at times, and it's harsh to everyone in the world. That's something that I definitely want to make sure we we highlight tonight. It's not just our community, but it's our community that we're talking about today. Um, but is the harshness of things that happen in the world spilling over? And is that part of, of how the, the language and some of the inside conversations that we have as a community happen? And do we need to modify when we are in mixed company, so to speak? So I'm going to throw this back to Paul first. Um, I, I think that, I think that we always need to be, uh, conscious of the fact that we live in a larger community that includes people with disabilities, that includes people who don't have disabilities, but, but certainly have characteristics, um, that help to define them. Uh, and, and, and I think that our language virtually all of the time um, should reflect the fact that we are part of a larger world. Um, I, I, am, I am not sure um, that I see a lot of value um, in the kind of in-language that I was talking about before. Um, the, the, the difficulty is that 
there aren't any clear rules out there and, and no one's made them. We certainly haven't. Um, I, I, I remember being completely turned off uh, a Lions Club when I went to a meeting um, with a bunch of other blind people with a view to joining Alliance Club and had the person who was doing the prayer at the beginning say, um, I, I want to bless all the members of this Lions Club. And in addition, I, I want to welcome all the unsightly people in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> was that a veiled reference that you join that club? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't think, I don't think this person truly intended um, to be rude. I, I don't think, I, I, I just think he didn't know how to refer to people without putting his foot in his mouth. So he put his foot in his mouth. But the, the, I, I guess the point that I'm making here, among other things, is why don't we spend more time trying to determine how we wish to be spoken about or spoken to if it's important to us? If it's not, then let's just follow the rules that are out there for polite conversation everywhere. I mean, clearly folks who are LGBT plus um, have come up with a, with, with a set of rules about how they want to be spoken of and referred to, um, uh, which, which, which is fine. They're welcome to make those rules. But if we haven't made rules ourselves, then I think it, it, it probably isn't appropriate um, for, for us to um, point fingers at other people if we don't like the way they speak. Even this guy who said unsightly really didn't mean anything by it. That's a great point, Paul. And you know, let me let me speak for the LGBTQ plus community and say that that document, so to speak, is a living document and it is changing way too rapidly for uh, the world to understand. Um, so I have a lot of grace for people who don't understand, you know, pansexual versus demisexual versus bisexual. It's, it's, it's 400 page books, friend of mine. Yeah. Um, you know, so real quick, can we make sure that um, Kenneth is on a 409 um, exchange? Can we make sure that he's unmuted? Um, but I want to throw I want to throw this to Penny and Cheryl in the same vein. And it's, it's funny in my notes. I actually said most of the guide dog schools give you a, a card or handouts, stuff to go home with on etiquette. Is that something as a community, as a community that if we're expecting the world to treat us in a certain way, shouldn't, as Paul says, shouldn't we have something to teach them? What is what is the right way? What what is comfortable and acceptable for us? I think we have to teach them by example. Um, I don't, I don't want to send home a, a packet of information to people to say these are the words you can use and these are the words you can't. But when somebody um, when somebody assumes that I can't do something because I can't see and I can bloody well do it, it's better for me to explain it in a kind of a patient kind of a way and not to make the person who's made the mistake feel as bad as I feel. You know, I think we all have to try to be empathetic. On the other hand, I don't agree with Paul. I really do prefer people first language. And I can't, the, one of the main reasons I never joined a Lions Club is because of the Lions guys hanging out outside my grocery store saying, 
help the lions, help the blind. And I don't want to be the blind. I'm much more than just a blind person. You know, I'm a mom and I'm a writer and I'm this and I'm that. And uh, I really don't like the blind as a terminology. No, I I think, you know, what Penny is saying, I mean, I think that's something more experience and more knowledge. And I mean, you know, you would hope that our broader society would understand, like, we've moved away from saying, you know, talking about people as groups, right? So that it's, it's, it doesn't get us any way where to talk about the blind or the blacks or, you know, because it's, it's not allowing for sort of the diversity in, in, um, so I, I, you know, but then again, I mean, I think like Penny, I, and I think this is a difference, like I like and, and fought for this, description of people first and I don't I have no problem with somebody calling me blind because in you know that's what I am I have an issue with people coming up with sort of euphemisms or all these different words to say it without saying it because I'm not sure that it's not impacting the way somebody responds to me um, it's just another word that somebody else has come up with. I mean, I I pause when, you know, like a friend of mine uses sightless or visually impaired, because for me, visually impaired suggests that I've got some vision and I have no vision. And I don't want somebody to think that I, I have vision. Um, so, and then the thing about setting up an etiquette, I think, unfortunately, I don't know that there's any way, I mean, I don't know if Anthony, you were asking also if I consider sort of creating uh, sort of language etiquette for ACB. Um, and I can't speak for the whole BOP, but I can speak for myself. And I think that is not someplace that um, ACB sort of needs to go um, because there are these differences. I mean, I'm okay with, okay, they want it to be, there's legally blind. So they're just terminology that exists, um, that I think would make it hard to create like a, this is the way you do it. I, I definitely think more conversations like this, um, within ACB is definitely warranted. I don't know that the BOP coming up with an actual document is, is what I was thinking in my head, just more awareness within our community. Um, Kenneth, were you able to unmute? All right, we're gonna come back to Kenneth and we're gonna try to work on that behind the scenes. Jane, I wanna go back more towards the original question. Do you think that what we have to experience all day, every day, throughout the day, like I said, the Uber, Lyft, and Niles, and you know, having to stand at a customer service desk for ten minutes and keep saying "excuse me" till someone finally, you know, can give you the information or the attention that you need, et cetera. Do you think that you know the world, life itself, is making it or is enhancing our frustration and then spilling out into the language we use and how we're using it, especially around our sighted allies. I, I think every single person who is 
low vision, legally blind, partially sighted, or blind needs to be as on it as they can be with all their senses to perceive what's and handle what's going on around them so that they can be efficient and productive in how they get things done. Uh, I also think it is when you go to a counter and you're waiting and you're trying to piece together why nobody's showing up, you have to deal with that. That, you know, and sometimes I'll just stop somebody who's going by and saying, do you see anybody at a nearby right. desk? I'm, but I'm not asking how you deal with it specifically situation by situation. What I'm asking is, okay. do you think that the frustration builds and it's spilling over into our interactions purposefully or, some, you know, sometimes purposefully or not, you know, even? Yes, intended? I do. I absolutely do. I think you kind of store it up. I take very careful inventory of how I'm storing it up. It depends on the situation. Where I have stored it up aggressively has been where there are other people in stores with quote service dogs that ought not to be there. I get extremely um, alert about that and intent on dealing with it. Um, so yes, I think we do store it up. I also think we have to take that inventory ourselves and say, you know, they just, this is someone that just needs me to say, I need to let you know this, if you, you know, and there are other times when you deal with it more assertively or even aggressively, it depends. But yes, I do think both things happen. Um, so Debbie, sure, go ahead. This is Cheryl. Um, I suppose I, I apologize if this is a little rude, but I just want to say, that I strongly have the right to like spread your whatever it is you're this is this is where like our community our society just encounters so many like awful problems I mean the fact that I'm having a crappy day and that things aren't going well that doesn't give me the right to turn around and then be uncivil or uncivil to somebody else so and and I think Cheryl there's a difference between having a crappy day and having an issues specific challenge so I just want to make that clear and I agree with you about that well I mean I I you know again I'm totally blind I've been in lots of things and I'm an African-American woman and I've just been in situation and, mm -hmm. and of course I'm upset and I'm frustrated and I want attention, but I still think <clears throat> it doesn't give me the right to let it fly on somebody else. Um, because again, I don't see that impacting that, that sort of interaction having a positive outcome, right? I mean, as I said, when I first, everybody's hurt. I mean, we all, have to, and I don't see how the world like gets better if you if the fact that you're being hurt you turn around and hurt somebody else so I mean so that's that's just a thought for me um, and this this is me personally. Can, I, can I just say something about this yes. this is Debbie um I want to I want to just piggyback on what Cheryl was going to say because that's exactly what I was going to say the other day I had gone out I had gotten called an uber okay and I went outside to wait for it. I was waiting there by myself. And two of my friends just happened along. It was totally 
happenstance. And so they stopped to chat for a minute. And my Uber arrived and nothing was said. Nothing was said. The man didn't say anything. I had texted him saying, you know, please call my name when you arrive. He had texted me back saying, got it. And finally, one of my, my friends said, what, what car are you looking for? She said, he's sitting there. So she went over to him and come to find out he was trying to make up his mind how to tell me that he wasn't going to take my dog. And if mm. my friends who had vision had not have been there, he would have canceled the trip and left. Mm -hmm. Now, why does that have relevance to this conversation? I want to tell you, I was as mad as I've ever been in my life. I was mad because that thought that he could pull a trick on me using my blindness against me. I was mad at the whole thing. And like Cheryl said, it was about ready to make my whole day. But I went up to him and I said, sir, if you don't take me, you're not going to like what happens. Now, my friends, when I stood for, when I went forward, they let me take the ball because they know me. But I bring this up to say that I had to have like a little come to God talk with myself. It's not anybody's fault that you're blind and it's not anybody's fault that this man is an idiot. The outcome of the story is this. He decided to take me probably because he didn't want to put up with what I was going to do him. But when I got in the car, he started to talk to me. So I could have been all mad. I decided I wouldn't be. And I think he got an education. Now was what he did right? No. Did I have a right to be angry? Yes. But I took a page from the book that I just talked to you about a bit ago about Cheryl. I was angry. But I was not, I was going to use, I was going to let, not let my anger use me. I was going to use the anger. And I think that's what we always have to remember, whether it's in our language, how we act, whatever it is we do. I agree with you, um, which is exactly the point I uh, wanted strongly to make, that we have to deal with situation by situation. And yet we also get angry and we have to deal with ourselves. So I'm I'm right there with you. And I, I definitely think that there's something to be said, you know, whether you're a guide dog user or not, um, the the inhumanity of just rolling by and then pulling away and two or three minutes later you get a, a cancellation notice. It, that's just ugly. Um, however, this is the world we live in and we do have to deal with it. So I, I love what you said, Debbie, because, you know, not only could that have been, you, you know, another another situation that could be ugly or uncomfortable, but it also would have kept it would have kept the viewpoint of the rest of your day. Every other interaction that you had that day would have been tainted um, and potentially longer if, if, if you felt that angry about it. So I do believe that there's a, a big value in doing a self-inventory and figuring out where, you know, what is the anger? Where is the anger? How does it best suit me? How can I best use it? Um, let's try one more time. Kenneth, were you able to get back in and unmuted? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. You have any and, thoughts on okay, what good. we, yeah. You have any thoughts on what we've been talking about so far? Yes, David just said a few things I've been thinking. Uh, uh, our mindset uh, 
that we determine uh, each day pretty much. Uh, we can get up in the morning and say, I'm going to deal with life this way. I'm going to make the best of this day that I can. And we only play a certain part in that up to a certain limit when others come in and uh, enter their thoughts into the process. But otherwise, I really just think about uh, when I first experienced vision loss 21 years ago, I was very sensitive. And some people actually joked with me because I could, I, you look at me and you really believe I can still see. So people made fun of that, like I was pretending that I was blind. Uh, and so initially, I, I really became upset at times and just uh, didn't withhold my feelings and just said, you know, uh, that's crazy. It would be crazy for me to pretend that I'm blind. Uh, and having had the employment I had and everything going for me, why would I want to sit at home and pretend to be blind when I had so much going for me? Yeah. So, but now I know after all of that, and also having been through things where people uh, said cruel things uh, to me as an African-American male, uh, you know, you just have to deal with so many issues in life and you have to learn to, uh, to just not let it get to you. I was very sensitive uh, to even those matters with, uh, re regarding the race and uh, uh, thoughts that may be shared by other people that were, uh, I would say, harmful or cruel. And, but now I'm, I'm really trying to focus on more, and I believe we're going to have to educate people. We can't assume that they know. Uh, I had to educate my family, even though I, uh, how to, when they came to my home, to not put a vacuum right in the doorway. So many things they just didn't think of because they are not facing what we're facing. Sometimes we do have to be uh, thoughtful enough to consider those. Do they really even, are they really being mean, like uh, Debbie said earlier, or you know, consider uh, giving people a, a break or showing them grace at times because they really just don't know. And I believe we're going to be educating people to the day this world ends or it ends for us. And the same as advocacy, we will continue to have to advocate because things are changing. Some people get it. Some people don't get it. Some don't want to get it because they're not used to uh, looking at life with the, at the, like the larger picture where we're all in, involved. And I need to respect those people. I don't know them. I don't know how they live. But, uh, and, but sometimes we can get in our own little world and think that everybody lives the way we do and not consider that their lives are so different. Uh, but it's all about, to me, about educating when something uh, is said to me that's kind of cruel because of my blindness or whatever. Uh, and I've learned, I've practiced phrases, coming up with phrases to use uh, in advance to be proactive and mm -hmm. to not waste my time and even messing up my own day because uh, I allowed them to get me so upset by something they said that was cruel, but I have to think about, did they really understand what they were saying? Did they know how that would affect me? And, but another thing about suppressing our feelings, I think it's so important. If you feel offended or, uh, you know, you're, uh, you've been dealing with several things. If you suppress your true feelings consistently, then one day you're just going to let it all out on somebody that didn't really deserve it because they said <laughs> one word, one wrong word. So it's so important that we deal with our emotions or our feelings and, uh, and not continue to suppress. Oh, it's going to be okay. It's, it's going to be okay. I'll just leave it alone. If you do that too much, one day you might realize you didn't really deal with the issue. Uh, you made it worse. Uh, and when you exploded on someone, but it's all about education. Uh, and we're going to continue to have to do that within the organization and outside of the organization, because some people really definitely want to know, and we just need to help them along the way. So a lot of this conversation has turned to outside the organization, which is very fair and very valid, but turning it back to inside ACB itself, um, 
And I started off today's conversation by talking about the conversation and the use of the word blanker and, you know, the pushback that was not, you know, welcomed or received well. Um, you know, you're not a part of this world, so you really don't get it. Um, and I also shared that, you know, myself as, as young, I'm not new, but young in the blind and low vision community, um, you know, there have been times where I have felt that feeling like you don't get it. You don't understand. Um, you know, you don't have these same experiences. And also sometimes your, you know, experiences from your sighted life aren't as valuable. Uh, so as, you know, as a community, is it our responsibility to then push back on that? You know, especially in a situation where we hear someone telling a sighted ally, you don't get it. You're not part of this. Are we supposed to be pushing back? Are we supposed to be entering that fray? I want to um, I want to jump to Cheryl first, but you're all welcome. And you guys in the audience over in Clubhouse and here on Zoom, we're going to open this conversation up to everybody in a few minutes. So start thinking about anything you may want to ask these fine folks. Cheryl? Yeah, I mean, but isn't that just like one person's reaction? I mean, telling somebody like you don't understand or you don't get it. Um, so, I wouldn't have this conversation on Sunday edition if if I if I truly didn't see it more than just one person's reaction, and if I hadn't you know had conversations with others like who are like me who are young in this in this and had felt certain things that I felt. At this point, that's kind of why I'm throwing it out here, and I'm not I'm not discounting what you're saying, but this is why I'm you know using this platform to have the conversation. Right. I mean, you uh, know, Anthony. And, and sure, Paul. Uh, I'm sorry, Cheryl. Finish first, if you like, dear, and oh, no, then I'll I jump was, in. Okay. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, again, I think you know, this is uh, we talk about this being a community. So certainly, I think people could express whatever feelings they have, but then I think that gives you the person who feels, you know, that that certain feelings are aimed at you. The choice, uh, how are you going to respond and to respond? I mean, I, you know, I, I know from my own experience, not just as a blind person, but as I said, as an African-American person, you know, being told that I'm not really an African-American person, right? That I, I can't really be, uh, use that name because I wasn't born in this country. And, you know, and as much as that hurts, um, I know that for me, that's not true because I am here and and I live and and an experience life in the United States as a black woman. So I think you know so I I hear that I hear that sort of feedback and I keep sort of doing what I'm doing and working on the issues that I'm working on because I I know that I can contribute and I can hopefully make some sort of impact and change. So I think you know if if you're getting those types of vibes, um, then then it's important that you speak up, and that you push back and challenge people. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, well, let me just say this: we're all we're, we we are the community, and this is not just the ACB community, uh, not you know the like community calls. I mean, we are the community yeah. so we have to um actively contribute and if as as you said you know things are being said 
that you disagree with, then you, like me or anybody else, we have the right to push back and say, this is not acceptable. Paul? I think there there are four or five points that that, that I that I want to make as quickly as I can. First, uh, every one of us on this call acts every day as an ambassador of blindness. Whether whether we choose to acknowledge the fact that we do or not, we do. And and every single one of us, uh, time and time again, has tried to find appropriate, effective, and quiet and reasonable ways of helping folks who aren't a member of the blindness community to understand um, why some of what they're doing is inappropriate or to understand better what our, what, what our feelings are about the way that we're being treated. I think that it doesn't just apply to blindness, it applies to every minority community, it seems to me, yeah. um, that, that all of us, in, in the larger American society need to recognize that our place in it, no matter whether we're black, no matter whether we're LGBT, is, is misunderstood by a substantial number of folks. And whether we like it or not, I, I think the only way it ever gets any better is if we actively uh, operate um, to, to lessen the distance between us and the rest of the community. And the only way we can do that is by interacting in a way that we, that we expect that will be heard, which means in a reasonable and, 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 in, a, and in a constructive and in a positive way. Uh, I, I think, however, and this is the, the second of three points that I'm gonna make, I, I think, however, it, it does after a while become very difficult um, to recognize that you have this obligation all the time and yeah. and and that whether you like it or not um, you 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 are always going to be regarded um, as different and inferior because prejudice happens and and it it's not going to change yeah. uh, the attitude of the general community no matter how often you put yourself out, to be explanatory and open, um, and 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 that, but that's one of the things that we that we simply have to accept. And the third point that I want to make is that it seems to me that one of the things that 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 we have failed to do um, as as ACB is to recognize that that we really have not um, put a lot of effort into um, selling who we are as blind people. We have issues that we, want, that we want to deal with, but a lot of the stuff that's been put out uh, about um, adjusting to blindness has come from other groups. It's come from the American Foundation for the Blind, or it's come from teachers, or it's come from hospitals, or it's come from social workers. But I think that one of the things that perhaps ACB needs to consider is whether it's time that we put together a group of folks, um, and, and maybe Cheryl, it might, it, it might be through your group that this would happen, um, but a group of folks who would actually explore 
whether there are some nuances in terms of the notion of what blindness is and how we want it to be regarded that we want to share with the broader community and, and perhaps figure out some ways to do that. It's Jane jumping in for just a second, or shall I wait? No, go ahead. And then I'm going to ask Penny something. So ahead, Jane. I think that we that there is a lot of effort that individuals are making to address issues as, as they hit the fan of their personal lives. But I think, and I wish uh, ACB, as you suggested, Paul, could develop uh, a, a group to really look at the bigger, bigger cultural issue, which is white privilege. I think that's huge. And we need to understand it better so that we can get at it better. That's all. Thank you. I, I want to say something. I, I, agree ahead, with, I agree that we, uh, what we need to do though, so much of the adjustment to blinding training that comes from blind people to newly blind people includes a chip on the shoulder. We need to somehow eliminate that. Um, it just, I really don't like the us and them that is generated so, so dramatically by the, by, especially by the people in the Federation and a lot of the people in the blindness adjustment centers and those blindness adjustment curricula. It's all like, they don't know how great we are and uh, and they don't understand uh, and, don't us know. and they don't get and it. And they don't understand yeah. us. And so we have to be very forceful. And a, a long time ago, my husband was in the, met, he, my husband can see, and he was at a metro station. And there was a blind woman who was walking extremely close to the edge of the platform. And he saw this and went over to her and said, excuse me, I, I just want to tell you that you're a little bit close to the edge of the platform you might want to move over a little bit he was not telling her what to do and he was not being judgmental but she like went off on him told him how she knew exactly what she was doing and she didn't need sighted people interfering in her life and she went on and on and on now my husband being married to me that didn't deter him from helping the next blind person he might see who might need a little help but it could have certainly deterred other people who had never met a blind person before. And like it or not, we're still pretty much a minority group. Um, a lot of people have never met a blind person before. We're the first blind person they ever meet. So I just think we have to be careful. We have to do something about the chip on our shoulder because too many people have it. And that's how they approach the world, I think. And that doesn't do any of us any favors. Yeah. And will probably keep us less less safe in the long run in case we do run across a situation where we do need help, where we would like the person standing in line with us to tell us that, hey, that person behind the counter is ready for you next, you know? Absolutely. This is, and, this is Cheryl. And, Could go ahead, I, Cheryl. Yeah, because I, I think, I mean, and maybe this is what we, the challenge that I feel is that, um, you know, as a as a blind person, um, there's always this message or understanding that be cited. And yeah. I wonder if what we're having to struggle with is that 
you know, we too believe that the preference is to be cited. And it's not our reality, um, be it from birth or later on in life. And so the the challenge is like, how do you sort of balance those two things? Or how do you eradicate that like fundamental message that I think we're all given um, to be able to live as a person? So I, and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe that's, that's the discussion because I think, um, you know, just, just like as, as with any other minority group, you know, being sort of force fed that as a minority, you're always inferior. Yeah. So one, one thing I'm definitely realizing is that this conversation as, you know, spoking out arms of other conversations that should probably happen and hopefully some of them will happen here on Sunday edition. I want to throw one more um, question out to the panel, and then we're going to open it up for Anthony. Our could I just Anthony one quick yeah, thing? I want to say. Um, we've been talking about things that we in ACB might do. I I kind of want to piggyback on what Cheryl said. I think that it would be nice, and I'm not going to say who does it or whatever, to have some community calls about ourselves dealing with what is it that makes us angry? How can we better deal with the world that we find ourselves in as a minority so that when issues of prejudice and unfairness and all of those things happen, we can deal with them, not in a namby-pamby Mary Poppins kind of way, but we can deal with them in a way that makes more sense, that doesn't cloud people's minds with our own irate anger. I just think it is so important that we learn to accept that this is not, that this is a pretty bad card we were dealt, that life isn't fair, but that we can give it technical knockouts every day. And we can be, we can truly participate in society. And I think we should try to talk about that and, and get ourselves into a place where we can sit, we can do what we need to do to help educate in a better way because we're making our own lives better. I think part of it is self-acceptance and dealing with the anger and frustration that we feel inside. I I like what you said, Debbie, and 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 I think that you know more more exploration of this, whether it be community calls or blog postings or Tuesday topics and Sunday edition and visibilities and all of the other great offerings that, you know, we have, I definitely think, you know, that continuing that piece of the discussion is absolutely, you know, paramount. Um, but the last question that I wanted to throw out kind of harkens back to service providers and that piece of the conversation that we were having earlier um, and the original question that that this kind of piggybacks on, I was thinking about, you know, we have a lot of advocacy arms, but, and again, this is a personal opinion. Um, I think a lot of our advocacy arms are pointing at, this is what has been passed as far as legislation is concerned. This is what is, you know, entitled and, or, you know, rights-based. And then we have a advocacy that is sort of complaint based, but I don't see a lot of advocacy that's showing our community in a great light. 
um, you know, especially around, and I'm personally going through this, you know, seeking employment and having the employment conversations, um, you know, but other areas of advocacy as well. I, I, I don't think that we do a great job highlighting, you know, that we're people, that we're human, that we can thrive, that we can hurt, that we can all of it, that, that we are full lived experiences. So I'm not going to point to anyone. Just feel free to jump in on any thoughts on that. Well, I'm going to jump in and say that certainly the rehab community, um, especially the, the, the teachers and the counselors who are not blind, sometimes have a pretty negative attitude about people who are blind. I have way too many times heard uh, they just want to see what they can get from us. You know, there is that attitude. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's something we certainly have to try to defeat because it hasn't gotten any better since I became a rehab client when I graduated from high school. Um, and that was many years ago. Uh, in fact, I think it could be worse. Um, so uh, it's another whole topic, of course, from this one, but it is important. I just have to butt in before someone else jumps in and, and tell a quick funny story. Not long after I, I received Bodie, my guide dog, I was in a commission office and trying to figure out some more services that I needed. And, you know, the waiting time, as we all know, can be very, very frustrating. And I wasn't taking the frustration well. Um, and and the, the counselor actually, you know, she admitted to me first, we don't know what to do with you. Um, you know, there's no way, oh, sorry about that. I just dropped the mic. Um, there's no way to translate, you know, your life lived experience into anything that we, that we're used to doing. But more importantly, she said, well, you just got your guide dog and, you know, we just got you jaws. So be patient. Um, you know, you've got what you need for now and, and you'll get more. And I, and I, I sat for a minute and a half and I, and of silence and she's like, yeah, you know, what's wrong? And, and I said, I'm not here to get stuff. I'm, right. I'm, I'm here to get my life back or a, a version of life. So I just thought that was, it would be, you know, interesting to throw out here. Anyone else on the panel want to, want to give any thoughts on what we've been talking about so far before I open it to the audience? Anthony, this I is Kenneth. I just Kim think is, one of the things uh, we, oh, sorry, Kenneth go ahead. Debbie. Uh, who's going? Okay. Kenneth and Debbie. Go ahead, Debbie. Okay. okay. All right. Well, go, go, um, you know, I had a, <laughs> counselor, uh, you know, as a part of our program in my area uh, through the Commission for the Blind, uh, being visually impaired, I was newly blind. She told me she couldn't help me without me telling her exactly what I needed. And I had to make it known to her. I had no clue about what I might need. I had never heard about a... Um, I'm hearing talking going on. But uh, I had never heard about a talking watch or any of those products, a screen reader or anything. But so I had to talk to other people to find out what I might benefit from to go back to her for what I needed. And um, uh, that was a, quite a challenge. And I, was, I felt like giving up, but I'm not a guy that does that uh, because I wasn't getting the help I needed. But I finally met a person, another counselor that did not become my counselor, but she stepped in to offer assistance for me to be able to get better service and I uh, appreciated that. But it was just strange that it was somebody who was dealing with the same uh, vision loss uh, that I had 
and that wasn't kind enough to even help me. And uh, so uh, I, I said that I want to say this. I located a definition recently about blinkers. Another definition is having an overly narrow focus, uh, having an inability to see the larger picture. And those people uh, that work uh, on jobs uh, where their heart is not in their work, they're just they're just going to work because they, they need that paycheck. Um, they're not considering you and your particular situation. Um, and uh, we have to help to educate them as well. But uh, it's pretty sad that they just want to hand you off a job, uh, any job to say they can close that case, though. And that's still happening from years back. It's still happening today. Yeah, I know Paul tackles that. And we've tackled that here on Sunday Edition. And I know there are more conversations on that subject. Debbie? I guess what I just want to say really briefly is that that is why we've got to get our anger in perspective and we've got work to do and we've got to deal with what is causing us so much angst because we it's our reality we've got to learn to face it better and to be kinder to one another if i had to assume something about somebody my, i want my first assumption to to be they didn't know. Now, if they're a bigot and they're spouting hate doctrine and all that, I'm in the wall pushing back on them with everybody else, with everything that I have. But I think we don't assume the best about each other, even here in ACB. I don't mean among us here, but, you know, we're always assuming somebody's deserved something to be swiped out with anger. We're looking for too many opportunities to express our anger instead of saying, instead of saying, talking to people, you know, and finding out. And I guess the final thing I would say is some of the greatest life lessons I have ever learned have been learned from people that didn't see everything exactly the way I did. Now, I don't mean, again, cruel, stupid, mean yeah. people. Yeah. I mean people who see the world a bit differently. And what I've learned is, even if I don't 100% agree with what they've said, I've put it in my arsenal of things to consider when I make decisions about how I'm going to act, what I'm going to do, and where I'm going to put stuff in my mind and heart. And we are so busy being angry if people don't agree with us, every jot and dot and line, instead of saying, if you agree with me on the big picture, if you believe in equality and true inclusion and recognizing and, and taking joy in diversity and, and all of our place in it, if you're that kind of person and we disagree on something, let's learn from each other. Let's find the way to have a table of consensus. And I think that's something that we have lost sight of. Yeah, I, I often use the word grace, and and I do think that we we've lost as as a society at whole uh, as as a whole we've lost a big portion of of leading with grace of giving an extension to. I think a lot of people just make mistakes or they don't know, and if they don't know, you can't hold them accountable for something that they don't know unless. You, you know, you have to be willing to educate and you have to be willing to extend that grace. That's my own personal cool. feeling. And, so and, and I just want to say that we, yes. um, we need to extend that grace to one another. I personally yes. think of Linus community is one of the most judgmental communities in general that I 
I've ever encountered. And there's a lot of judging in our community. I mean, like, for instance, if somebody at a restaurant asks the kitchen staff to cut up their meat, and there are several blind people at the table, some of those people are going to be rolling their eyes and saying, oh, he can't even cut up his own meat. I mean, we have to be extend that grace to each other, too. We are not good at that, I don't think. And I think it's especially hard for older people who become blind. Those people grew up with all the prejudices in the sighted community that we don't like. And, and now here they are in this situation. And that's it's really hard for that segment of the population. And that's the fastest growing segment of the blindness community. Yeah, and I think that directly correlates with, you know, that study that came out a few years ago, that people would rather have prostate or breast cancer than go blind. Um, you know, yeah, deadly cancers yeah. that have a much higher, you know, a rate of taking you off this planet, out of this life, than go blind and try to live a, a, a healthy, fruitful, you know, fulfilling life. All right, let's take it to the audience. And what are some of your comments? Do you have questions for these fine folks that are here on the panel? Um, we'll do two and two. Belle, um, let's see who we have first in Zoom. All right, first we have Lynn. Oh my goodness, this is a topic very close to my heart. I talk about language all the time. And also my study, which I'm just about completed, talks about rehabilitation and a lot of the power imbalances between blind people and employment and stuff. So um, when I finish in August, hopefully uh, by August or even earlier, I would like to talk about the study because it really revealed a lot of things uh, for my 11 uh, participants. But I do think that- Come here, come here, we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, unless Paul snatches you up first, but got it. <laughs> but also um, what I think about, uh, and Jane mentioned white privilege, and I'm so glad that Penny mentioned judgment because that was the word that I said, you didn't, people talk about judgment and judgment is exactly what we think about when we judge other people and, and have opinions about things. And, you know, we're talking about blindsided stuff, but I attribute language to things like when people say that so-and-so is lazy or somebody is misbehaving. I said, nobody misbehaves, people behave. You know, we may not like their behavior, but they behave. And I think that the language we use, the language we use because we are not very nice to ourselves, you know, spills out to other people. And I think that um, uh, in terms of white privilege, I've wanted to do a call about white privilege. I think that what Debbie is saying about um, how we have to look at ourselves and think about ourselves and a lot of the leadership uh, groups that I'm in right now, both in the mentor program and also in, in, the, in the Washington leadership program as a mentee, uh, we're learning about how to look at ourselves, reading things about that, and also looking at our strengths from a different way than people usually look at strengths in terms of, oh, what did we do? No, how are we as beings? How are we at as being human? And what is our issue about human? We're, we're, we have to look at people's humanity before we look at anything else about them. So that's my comments. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, next up is Margie. Hello, everyone. What a wonderful topic and what a wonderful panel to speak on it. I feel so enlightened. Um, what a and share very briefly a story and how it was handled and how I decided to handle it after I handled it. <laughs> um, you know, to me, when one blind person is rude and mean to a stranger, someone in the public who wants to assist, and then that person concluding that, oh, I'll never help another blind person, 
is like me concluding because one African-American commits a crime that all black people are bad. So I prefer to see us all as individuals and hope that the, we and the general public would treat us all as individuals versus classifying us as part of a group. And then um, experiencing something negative and taking that and having that carry over in the rest of their life. Now, my brief story, there's a store here in my town, which I will not name, that I shop at frequently. And there's only one person I choose not to shop with because I do my darndest not to process white sugar in my body. And this individual thinks it's a joke and takes me over to the baked goods and puts things in my hands and after shopping with this individual for a number of times and trying to express my dissatisfaction with this, I've decided I won't shop with them. Oops, I'm getting a lot of feedback. Um, let me shut voiceover off. There we go. Um, not too long ago, I went in and if I mind shopping with this person, I said, yes, I do. Please don't give that person to me. Next thing I know, someone came up with an accent, got a cart, started to help me. All throughout the store, this person had an accent. To get to the bottom of the story, we get out front, and it was the person I didn't want to shop with disguising himself as someone else. You know, I'm grateful oh. and fortunate that I'm in two recovery programs because years, I would have let my tongue fly uncontrollably. And fortunately, I had a mask on. <laughs> so he couldn't see my full face. And um, it was a joke. I didn't think it was a joke. He couldn't have pulled that on any other shopper. I was furious, but I didn't let him have it. And my partner picked me up. And I told I that's where I unloaded. Then I proceeded to come home and post on Folsom Chat, where I live, what happened, who the person was. All these people were outraged that this would happen at the store. Many people called the manager. I filed a complaint with corporate. I got a call the next day by 9 a.m. from the GM of the store, profusely apologizing. It was totally unacceptable. And... Thank you for calling. I really appreciate it. He was going to train all his staff. I told him that wasn't necessary. I've had excellent you service. Point. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, just this person needed to be addressed. I took down the post and I put up a new post saying it was handled. And you know what I had to do? I had to move from rage about this to acceptance. And it wasn't necessarily about me as a blind person. I thought it was. It was about him being a prankster, which it, it, it's, it's very empowering when I can move from feeling discriminated against and that this couldn't have happened to a sighted person to that it really was just about him being a prankster, which I don't know if he's still working there or not. Margie, but, I want to I want to pause you there for a second and ask yep. the panel, because I I think what you just said is really important. It isn't always about the blindness or being in a wheelchair or the color of skin. Most, lots of times it is, but it isn't always. And you did work. So anyone on the panel, do you have any comments on what Margie just said? You did great. That's what I want to say. And that's an example that I think everybody, uh, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but boy, I get 
the feeling from Cheryl and Debbie and Kenny and Paul that we've all been there and had to come to that somewhere along the way. So yay, Margie, for mentioning it. Kick it up, girl. The only thing I want to say is that's a prime example of making your anger, which is very justified, work for you. you. And congratulations. (laughs) Well done. All right. Wrap up point, Margie. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. All right. So do we have anyone in our clubhouse audience? Yes, we do. As a matter of fact, we have two. So Patty, you are up. Raylan, you are on deck. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Welcome to Sunday edition, Patty. Thank you for having this conversation. As I've been sitting here listening to you all and waiting for my turn to speak, I've been sharing the rooms everywhere that I could to invite people to join this conversation. A couple of points that I'd like to make is, first of all, I think that no matter what minority a person belongs to, they must first become comfortable with who and what they are. Once that happens, that is like a shield. Yeah. The next thing is I do not like it when people refer to me as that blind lady. It annoys the daylights out of me. And so I very gently will correct people and say, I am not that blind lady. I am that lady who just happens to be blind. Blindness is a part of me. It is not something I am ashamed of. It's not something I'm uncomfortable with. I have had many years to get used to this. I've been asked, I have multiple disabilities. I've been asked on numerous occasions, if you could get rid of one of your disabilities, which would that be? I I never name my blindness. Please don't screw that up. It's the one thing I know how to live with. However, <laughs> At the the same time, I have since that time become comfortable with all of my disabilities. So the first thing is self-acceptance. And the second thing is, as has been spoken, these, I don't like terminology like light dependent or blink or any of that nonsense. Um, I didn't grow up, the first four years of my schooling were in the sighted world. And when I went to the School for the Blind, it was complete disarray and culture shock for me. I think that my goal is always and will always continue to be, as my tagline says, to bridge the great chasm which separates the disabled from the non-disabled and we first must learn to be comfortable with ourselves and then learn not to be discriminative amongst ourselves and then we must learn to be acceptant that a person cannot know what they do not know and just as my sighted persons friends family members etc cannot possibly understand what it is to be blind, if you put that shoe on the other foot, I have no comprehension 
of what it is to be cited. So we must get on that page. And no two blind people are the same and no two sighted people are the same. So we must first define ourselves, be comfortable with ourselves, and learn, then learn how to deal with everything else. But use that self-comfort as your shield. Be happy with who you are and everything else will be much easier. And that's and all. That, folks, is why Patty's blog is as popular as it is. I will give oh, my thanks. panelists an opportunity to comment if they choose. All right, Herbie, who's up next? Thank you, Patty, very much. You're, you're very really welcome. Great thank you. Thank you for the compliment. Raylan. Hi, um, I will be try to be as succinct as possible because I know we've got more things to get to. But first, I just want to start off by saying how much I appreciate the conversation. I think many of us really have not had the opportunity opportunity to engage in many of these kinds of conversations about hearing from others what our experiences are and how we handle those because the reality is like we are ambassadors whether we want to be or not whether we should be or not whether you know what i mean but we are and you know that falls in line with this whole idea of the disability tax there are just things that we have to do that other people don't and there is no way around it it just is what it is and naming that and hearing other people say that like there is a sense of community there and it's important and it's powerful. I mean, we don't, many of us don't have parents or siblings who are also blind or visually impaired. So we don't get to have those conversations growing up to the same yeah. degree that, you know, sometimes other folks in different uh, groups get to have them because often we're the only ones or we're the only ones that we know of until we're adults or whatever the case may be. And then I also just want to say that, and I forget who mentioned it, and I apologize, but the idea of internalized ableism, you know, we have lived with the idea that, you know, being cited is, is the norm and it's the preference to the point where so many of us, and I, I have said this in my past, and I try very hard not to say it anymore, but we will tell stories of like, oh, I just think it's so great when, you know, so-and-so said to me, oh, I, I forgot you were blind. Like we, we have taken that as a compliment. Yes. That should make us stop in our tracks and think about uh -huh. what, what does that mean that we think about blindness if we are taking that as a compliment? Because we really should work through the process of understanding that, you know, it, it shouldn't be a negative. Um, we shouldn't see ourselves in it, you know, and again, that's a whole ball of wax. And I don't, <laughs> but anyway, I just, I so appreciate the conversation and I think it's super important. And I agree with the idea that, yeah, I think more, more discussions of like, yes, this is our experience. How, what are the coping skills people use that work? What are, you know, how do people, <laughs> you know, continue to have a positive outlook and, you know, function in a way that is moving our cause, I guess, forward. And um, yeah. yeah, that's all. Thank you so much. Wait, don't go anywhere. I have a question for oh. you. Um, and yes. thank you so much for bringing up that point. Um, Paul can definitely attest to this. As often happens when you're preparing for a show, you have many topics and points that you want to touch on, but then the conversation is so good, you can't really cut it off just <laughs> to bring up the next topic. So that was something that was on my list. You know, the um, the compliment feeling of, oh, I, I didn't even realize you were blind. 
no, no, no. Um, yeah. So the question I have for you is you're you're very active in the community and and as a community volunteer, I want to go back to the original um, portion of this conversation where a term was used. In, it wasn't a community call, thankfully, but it was a meeting. A term was used and, you know, some one of our cited allies pushed back. And the response was, well, you know, you don't live in this world. You don't get it. You, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing. But if you encountered that in the community, what would be your response? I think typically my I'm very much an overanalyzer. So I, I try to think through both sides of the argument, but then really pull on on the cord of like okay but we need to stay respectful and what is the most respectful way that we can move forward because i think sometimes with terms if even if they're not meant to be disrespectful they can be and i think it's okay to name that and say it again respectfully right um and and to let people because it's this idea of like microaggressions right death by a thousand cuts right because yes <laughs> again it's like that you know that may have been one comment but you know in in our lives and in our days like we get that stuff so much that like you know so again i think my tact is would just be to like okay let's talk about maybe why that wouldn't be something we would want to use or what have you i i missed the very beginning um but just really pick the most respectful path forward personally i'm sure my informed um view on this comes a lot from being a member of the lgbtq plus community but i also think it's just because i i have a big heart i feel like the moment someone tells you that something's hurtful that's the moment where you stop for a moment right. and, and you take that pause and you 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 respect the fact that it was hurtful. If you want to explain and and you know not codify, but I, I can't think of the word that I'm trying to say. But I I didn't mean it that way or the way you're yeah. taking it. I do believe that's valid, but yeah. there needs to be that pause and and um, respect isn't the word either. But acknowledgement, the acknowledgement. Yeah, of, yeah. Okay, you told me that hurt you. I, you know, I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. Now I, I'm, I'm taking a moment to understand. I, I think that is so important. I, I totally agree. I think you're right. I think once once we're aware that a certain word or phrase is, you know, is offensive to someone that, you know, we, it's, why not change, right? Like, is, is it so hard? I don't know. <laughs> to, to just not say that anymore? I don't know. That's, I don't know. That's my thought. But thank you, well, Anthony. Thank you, I, thank you so I just, much for coming to Sunday Edition. I hope you come back. And Jane, you want to respond? Raylan, I so commit, I love your energized enthusiasm right there. I, I just, you always, you often have to be so um, careful, you know, when you're, when you're helping do the morning crew and all that stuff. So I love seeing this energized response yeah. of yours, but that whole business of, oh, I never think of you as blind. I honestly respond to that. Then you're missing a piece of who I am that makes a difference to me. And we have that conversation because uh, I don't want to be uh, viewed as cited. I, that's not who I am. It's, anyway, I really appreciated your comment. 
Thank you, Jane. And you know what? I've gotten there and, and, and Kenneth touched on this earlier. I did not want the world to see me as blind early on in my journey. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I've been very public about it. I pushed just about everybody away in my life because I, I felt weak. I felt damaged. That's me personally. But now it's, it is a complete 360 because, it, and I'm going to steal that sentence from you. Um, you are missing a huge piece of me if you don't see the blindness in me. All right, anybody else want to respond? And I just want to assure our audience that even though we will have to go off air in a little while, we will stay till all the hands that are currently up are taken. All right. And we do well, have one other person in Clubhouse. Not, all right, some of us will stay. I'm not going to hold anyone hostage. Belle, who is up next? All right, we, next up we have an individual with a phone number starting at 714, ending in 413. Welcome to Sunday Edition. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. What's your name? I think that's the most common phrase spoken anywhere today around the world. Can you hear me? Anyway, hi, it's hi. DJ. Um, uh, totally, totally, so many ways I could go about this, but I don't want to take up all the time. Um, it's interesting hearing the, the different uh, comments and stuff from um, age differences too. Uh, I'm 72 and I've been congenitally, uncongenitally blind. I've had uh, been totally blind, partially sighted and very, very like, I'm basically functioning a lot of ways uh, totally blind again. And the age differences are, are another element in how we respond to each other based on the changes over time, the, the, the developments that have taken part in socially over these time periods between two generations, you yeah. can see um, how people approach and then you plug in those who are congenitally blind, those who lost their vision later. And now, now my issue, I thought, oh, you know, this will be over this, this and that. And now my argument as I'm older, hey, and, it, and it's going to go on because we're a small group, but go, you know, I'm older and it's like the medical profession. Their idea is, okay, she's, we've had some training with old people who are blind, but it's people losing their vision. Blindness isn't my issue. It has its issues. I, I'm not invisible, but my first problems now are changes with becoming old <laughs> and, and making adaptations <laughs> according to that. And so it's totally flipped around. But one of, and I'm working with it. One of the things that I have done, I have a friend um, who I would say is about 20 years younger than me. And this is where I saw the generational differences. This, this person grew up in, you know, where there was a lot of help in the fam. There was help in the family in them going out and being themselves and such. My family said, we don't know what you can do. So you're going to have to figure it out. And there's just a whole different attitude at, 
at some point people say, oh, you think you're super, you're a superwoman. And I go, no, I just always think I have to figure it out first, you know, myself yeah. and make efforts before, before I go ask. And that, and one of the nice things, and then this is all I want to comment about, and I love any input. Um, I've been, my, okay, my daughter, who is now a nurse, God bless her, I'm very proud of her. Um, she, her and I have, you know, a little angst going on, but the nice, which is normal, but the nice thing is, she says, mom, you got to remember you are a, you guys are a small minority. And, and I says, yeah, but they could teach better. And she says, well, they're teaching to the, what the population they deal with most. But she said that when she goes in and deals with a patient, she talks to them and um, she talks to them and tells them everything she's going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to touch your neck or I got to do this and that. I'm guessing that's her, her lived experience from with, with you that has informed her bedside manner. She says, and now I hope now this might offend people, but I'm going to say it in this group, but so take it how I mean it. And when people have complimented her or that she goes, Oh yeah, my mom's blind and it's my <laughs> blind. And she does. She'll tell them that. She says, it's my blindism. I'll go. And she doesn't do everything for me. She doesn't talk all for me unless she sees that I'm confused Sorry. about something that's said. That's my oldism. And, and so very, very well, a good observation. And the other day, she went up to the counter. We were going to get seated. And I was with her boyfriend. And we were talking. And then once we got seated, she says, oh, it's amazing what people assume that they're going to put us in a um, horseshoe booth and because there'd be more room for the dog. I don't see it that way. I always find it more complicated than having a straight in booth. And she says it was kind enough. She says, but she said, oh, no, excuse me. I think we want a regular booth, please. And that and they accommodated. and. She said that um, when when they respond in in a positive way, then she'll give a tip. If they're trying to find a place to put us out in the middle, of, away from everybody else, out of what they consider a compliment, she she doesn't give them a tip. And I only find this stuff out later, because she was taking care of all that, you know. And 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 it's it's nice to see. Uh, family and friends, even subtly, you know, stand up because that's what makes our lives as people universally better and better in helping others. Well, thank you, DJ. And I, I think that is a beautiful, um, a beautiful sharing that you gave us. Anybody on the panel want to comment? And please tell your daughter that Sunday Edition says hello and she rocks. Um, panelists, any <laughs> any feedback? <laughs> All right, Bell, who's up next? David. Hello, thank you for this interesting conversation. Um, I've been blind now for about 19 or 20 years, but the majority of my life so far, uh, I was sighted. 
And I was about as ignorant of blindness as any sighted person could be. You know, I knew that there was Helen Keller. I'd heard of Helen Keller and Stevie Wonder. And I knew blind people used seeing eye dogs. And that's what I thought they were called all the time, just seeing eye dogs. Me too. <laughs> and one of, for what it's worth, one of my, my, one of my main coping mechanisms for sort of dealing with some of the outrageous things that sighted people do is to remind myself of how ignorant I was for all of those years. And why was I ignorant? Because I didn't need to be anything but ignorant. I don't think I ever had any um, exposure to a blind person. And if a blind person had sort of come up to me and asked me for assistance, like I do all the time now, um, my guess is I would have run away or something like that. I don't know. I mean, blind people I often are a very scary thing. Yeah. So um, I'm not in any way excusing some of the outrageous behavior that um, has been mentioned uh, earlier. You know, the, that story about the, um, uh, the idiot at the supermarket, you know, that's one you pick your battle and you'd be smart about it and hopefully you get some results. Uh, but these little microaggressions, and again, I haven't dealt with it perfectly. I've had times when I snap at somebody because... You know, yeah. they're trying to help me, but they grab the end of my can. Yeah. And I actually sort of feel a little bad after I do that because I, I'm one of these people who is convinced that, you know, if somebody does try to help you and you snap at them, there's a good chance they aren't going to try to help a blind person in the future who may need some assistance. So, again, it can't be really a coping strategy for people who maybe have been blind all their lives, but that is one thing I do. I just try to remember who I used to be. And that a lot of people who helped me, perhaps imperfectly, are probably doing a better job than I would have done um, back in the day. Thank you. You know, I, I do often ask myself, how, you know, how would I have handled this when I when I still had sight in, in situations? And honestly, I think that the answers that I've come up with have changed over, over the course of my journey. And maybe they'll be different in two years and 10 years and God willing, 20 years. But thank you. Very um very much for coming to Sunday edition. Let's jump back to Clubhouse. Herbie, who's up next? All right, we've got two people uh, up on stage. Andrew, you are up. Liz, you are on deck. Good afternoon. And again, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Great. Um, thank you for this conversation. It's quite wide ranging and uh, a lot of different things being discussed. Um, I just want to be, I'll try and be as brief as possible here. Um, my journey, stop. my journey was one of, uh, I had some exposure to disability in my family. My uncle had uh, polio and my sister was diagnosed with RP when I was 14. And when I turned 24, I was diagnosed with RP. But during that 10 years um, with my sister, uh, I didn't quite understand, even though I was around it, her frustrations. But once I became um, disabled in that way, I started to understand Abe. her frustrations. Do you need me? Uh, but one of the things that I did early on, once I was diagnosed, is I joined a local no, organization not. called the Physically Handicapped Citizens Association, which was multi-disability um, uh, 
members. Mm -hmm. And that introduced me to other people that had disabilities and their frustrations and their ways of dealing with things. And it helped me learn how to be an advocate for myself and for others. And later on in my life, I joined another organization here in Ontario that is a, a community or sorry, it is a um, board that uh, advises uh, our local municipalities according to our provincial government regulations in our implementation of the uh, Accessibility of Ontarians with Disabilities Act in that we advise on any municipal projects um, in terms of um, accessibility. And mm -hmm. again, that is a multi-disabled uh, member multi group. Thank you. And uh, I think, again, that uh, helped me uh, in terms of understanding just how difficult it is for others as well. And the other thing I just wanted to say is when dealing with the quote unquote outside world, those that are not facing a disability at this time, it's almost like we're all life insurance salespeople. Nobody wants to talk about that because it scares them and uh -huh. it reminds them of their mortality. Uh -huh. And I think anytime you uh, are dealing with a disability, whether it's blindness, deafness, whatever it might be, there's that fear factor that is a barrier that is very, very hard to dismantle. So thank you again for having this conversation and allowing me to uh, speak. Thank you so much. Herbie, who's next? Liz Butner. Hello everyone. Thank you, Anthony and panel for this well-needed conversation. And I really hope that this is not the last that we have, because if we stop here, then we're selling ourselves short. Um, there is so much that I could comment on, but I will just pick a few things. The first is just that I think that we all need to give ourselves grace. We are all humans. We are going to make mistakes. We won't do everything perfect every single time, and that is okay. Um, to the comment about, you know, seeing the, you know, oh, I don't see you as a blind person. If that is said and the person see, is saying that because they see me as a person and that I'm blind and, and it's, it's one and the same, then that then I'm okay with that comment. But if it is because they're missing part of that aspect of me, which is my blindness and all the things that come with that, then I, I agree. That is not okay. Yeah, um, I agree with that. To Kenneth's yeah. earlier point that he had to go somewhere else to figure out what to come back to his rehab counselor with. That's horrible. That is not yeah. okay. Yeah. We absolutely need to be the ones who make the rules for what we want and how we want ourselves to, to be seen and, and heard and spoken about. Because if we don't, then the people may not get it right. And we know that, at least I feel like I could say that, because we see it, we hear it. Um, and so if we don't do that, we again are selling ourselves short. Um, and I do, I do feel that sometimes there is a double standard within the community. Um, we you know, maybe judge ourselves differently than we might judge others in a, in a more harsher light. And I don't think that's okay. Um, and I also think that it needs to start from you know, we, we as leaders or future leaders, we need to emulate how we want other people to see us because hopefully that will help. Um, that's Anthony. <laughs> so I don't know, but that is what I have to bring to the and, and demand your seat at the table and turn the anger that we are justifiably allowed to feel and, and it's okay to feel, turn that into positive action and action. <laughs> 
So we're going to do some comments, then we're going to go off air. I know Belinda has an errand to go to, but we will keep the room open until the hands that are here have had an opportunity to share their thoughts. So let's start with Cheryl. Brief final thoughts. We all like um, it. <laughs> yeah, no, so I suppose, you know, this is something that I think we all have to work on. I mean, we have to commit to being inclusive, and we have to figure out what that what what that will mean. And I suppose the the thing I really want people to um, take being you know being hurt or ex experiencing cruelty um, should help us realize that we don't want to do that to somebody else. Um, and so if you're doing something that somebody says is hurt, it's stop. And and listen to the person as they're telling us how how they. So that's that's it. Thank you, Paul. I I think the, the that that I'd say two things. One, uh, I I think it's really important for us to accept the fact that there are a, a lot of people, probably all of us included, who sometimes don't do a good job of, of interacting with, with folks outside of our community and that, that every single one of us can probably find ways to improve. The second thing that I wanna say though, is that we also need to recognize that, that part of the problem that we're having now um, relates to the fact that we have become a population that has expectations for ourselves and expectations of how we want to be treated by others. There was a time 20, 30, 40 years ago when that wasn't the case and where we were perfectly content being objects of charity. So I think we are in a transitional period um, where, where we are coming to terms with the fact that we have a different identity and one that we need to come to terms with and identify and define for ourselves. Yeah, thank you. Um, Penny. Um, I think it's just all boils down to treating other people the way we wanna be treated. I mean, some of us used to be partially sighted or even sighted before, and we wouldn't have appreciated people treating us uh, disrespectfully, just like we don't appreciate the sighted world treating us that way. So I guess it's all about the golden rule. And oh. thank you for the, thank you for the, uh, the program, Anthony. It's been really good. Thank, thank you. you so much. <laughs> Kenneth? All right, Jane. I think this is uh, not, not the beginning, but it's a, a great step forward. And I hope that more of our programming can focus on specific questions related to how we understand ourselves in community and how we treat the community and how we understand ourselves in the larger culture in which we live, how we treat it. 
And I really appreciated you, Paul, saying, yeah, you bet. We have expectations now of all of this. But I think we have to go back to being, to help each other learn how to move from our points of anger to points of humor and education. But we also have to challenge other people to do that work too. Because I think still that white privilege is a huge issue. It allows people to assume that they're fine and uh, they can judge um, incorrectly a lot of the rest of us. So there. Thank, Thank you, Jane. I'm going to cut you there so we give Debbie yep. an opportunity as well. Debbie? <laughs> I just I just want to say that um, Penny kind of I'm going to was going to say what Penny was going to say. Remember always the golden rule. And, you know, we are the ones that are the most affected by all of this. So besides making our anger work for us, we have to lead by example. Mm -hmm. And I find if I'm kind and upbeat and engage in conversation, that a lot of the prejudices people seem to have either they don't have them for that moment, or at least they think about not having them anymore. And finally, diversity isn't something new. It's a part of our darn DNA. It's a part of everything that, that is in the world, every plant, every animal, every human being. And I just want to say, darn it, we should know that we are all better by accepting and understanding diversity and, and we need to joy in it and celebrate it and be victorious in every part of it because darn it, we're all a part of this grand, glorious, diverse community on earth and we just need to find our place in it. And I think with conversations like this, we will and thank you. Thank you. I want to thank all of the panelists and everybody who has been here, everybody who's listening out in Clubhouse and ACB Media. This has been a great show. I, of course, will be back next week. With the original, with the regular Sunday edition crew, uh, with a great show. I know that Peter Alcha will be here talking uh, about employment as well as some of the stuff that FIA has going on for convention. So please come back for that conversation again, panelists. Thank you so much. I couldn't have done this without you. And have a great rest of your Sunday, everyone. You've been listening to Sunday Edition on ACB Media. Stream one. That's American Council of the Blind Media or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes drop every week at 1 p.m. on Sundays. And you can email us at Sunday Edition AC, all one word, Sunday Edition with the letters AC at gmail.com. Let's brunch again together next Sunday.